Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger are being lauded as courageous heroes. And while I agree with that notion, why? Because they told the truth? Why is telling the truth hard? I guess in this America, it is. Us four officers, we would do January 6th all over again. We wouldn't stay home because we knew it was going to happen. We would show up. That's courageous. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. This week, the House Select Committee's January 6th commission kicked off with heartbreaking testimony from four law enforcement officers who defended the Capitol on January 6th. They gave firsthand accounts of being overrun, assaulted, and harangued by rioters as traitors, all described lingering physical and emotional trauma. Some rioters hurled racial epithets at African-American officers. Cannot leave the violence of January 6th and its causes uninvestigated. The American people deserve the full and open testimony of every person with knowledge of the planning and preparation for January 6th. We must know what happened here at the Capitol. We must also know what happened every minute of that day in the White House. Every phone call, every conversation, every meeting, leading up to, during, and after the attack. Honorable men and women have an obligation to step forward. If those responsible are not held accountable, and if Congress does not act responsibly, this will remain a cancer on our constitutional republic. The four officers' gripping testimony, accompanied by horrific images from police body cameras, played by the Democratic-led committee, did not reveal much new information. But it did launch the investigation with a compelling reminder of what was at stake as the seat of the federal government came under violent attack. And attempted to rip the baton from my hands, and we wrestled for control. I retained my weapon after I pushed him back. He yelled at me, you're on the wrong team cut off from our leadership, which is at the front of our formation. We huddled up and assessed the threats surrounding us. One man tried and failed to build a rapport with me, shouting, are you my brother? Another takes a different tack, shouting, you will die on your knees. It also recast the GOP's shameless attempt to subvert the commission by appointing two of its most prominent deniers as sickening. How could you listen to those heroes testify and look at the 16,000 hours of video evidence and continue to dismiss and deny what happened that day? It's gone beyond delusional in some frightening display of loyalty. I don't cite the psychological trauma he endured as an excuse for ditching our Bill of Rights. I've been left with the psychological trauma and the emotional anxiety of having survived such a horrific event. Now, not to in any way underplay the crimes that were committed on January 6th, and there were crimes committed on January 6th, but compared to what? What's interesting is that Michael Fanon didn't mention experience any trauma. Several times during the hearing, both the witnesses and some of the lawmakers on the dais teared up and struggled to gain composure as they relived that day. I never expected a day to be quite as emotional for me as it has been. I've talked to a number of you and gotten to know you. I think it's important to tell you right now, though. You guys may, like, individually feel a little broken. You guys all talk about the effects you have to deal with and 
You know, you talk about the impact of that day. But you guys won. You guys held. You know, democracies are not defined by our bad days. We're defined by how we come back from bad, day, bad days. How we take accountability for that. And for all the overheated rhetoric surrounding this committee, our mission is very simple. Let's define the truth and it's to ensure accountability. Sergeant Aquilino Ganell of the US Capitol Police, an army veteran who served in Iraq, described the scene of the complex's west front where officers were outnumbered by thousands of people wielding bats, flagpoles, and other items used to pummel the police. He said he thought to himself, this is how I am going to die. So my, my time compared to Iraq, totally different. This is our own citizens. People who we sworn an oath to protect, but yeah, they are attacking us. Uh, with the same flag that they claim to represent. Um, it was bad. Another officer, Michael Fanone of the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Police Department, called the hand-to-hand -hand combat between police and rioters nothing short of brutal. Fanone said he was tased repeatedly and dragged into the crowd as members of the mob took his gun and threatened to shoot him with it. it they tortured me. They beat me. Uh, I was struck with a taser device at the base of my skull numerous times. And they continued to do so uh, until I yelled out that I have kids. Uh, and I said that hoping to appeal to some of their, uh, some of those individuals' humanity. Um, and fortunately, a few did step in uh, and intervene on my behalf. Um, they did assist me back towards the mouth of the tunnel entrance and uh, other officers were then able to uh, rescue me and pull me back inside. But at that point, I was unconscious. And uh, based off the uh, body-worn camera footage, um, it's believed that I was unconscious for approximately four minutes. He was visibly angry at lawmakers who have since downplayed the violence that day. Fanon told the panel, I feel like I went to hell and back to protect them. What makes the struggle harder and more painful is to know so many of my fellow citizens, including so many of the people I put my life at risk to defend, are downplaying or outright denying what happened. I feel like I went to hell and back to protect them and the people in this room. But too many are now telling me that hell doesn't exist or that hell actually wasn't that bad. The indifference shown to my colleagues is disgraceful. And here's four takeaways from yesterday's testimony. First, Capitol Police officers definitely blame the former president for the violence. U.S. Capitol Police Private Harry Dunn said what happened on January 6th was political and that those participating had a mission. They literally were there to stop the steal, he said, using a phrase former President Donald Trump and his supporters invoked to falsely claim that the 2020 election results were illegitimate. 
Dunn said he wants the committee to look at why rioters were there that day. So what I ask from you all is to get to the bottom of what happened. And that includes, like, I echo the sentiments of all of the other officers sitting here. I use an analogy to describe what I want as a hitman. If a hitman is hired and he kills somebody, the hitman goes to jail. But not only does the hitman go to jail, but the person who hired them does. There was an attack carried out on January 6th, and a hitman sent them. I want you to get to the bottom of that. Dunn also provided testimony to the sickening level of racism from the crowd that day. Dunn was called the N-word after acknowledging to rioters that he voted for Joe Biden for president. In the days following the attempted insurrection, other black officers shared with me their own stories of racial abuse on January 6th. One officer told me he had never, and in his, his entire 40 years of life, been called a nigger to his face. And that streak ended on January 6th. Yet another black officer later told me he had been cr- confronted by insurrectionists in the Capitol who told him, put your gun down and we'll show you what kind of nigger you really are. To be candid, the rest of the afternoon is a blur. Number two, rioters were 40 paces from two lawmakers. Florida Representative Stephanie Murphy, one of the seven Democrats on the nine-person committee, revealed for the first time Tuesday how close the mob of rioters came to mauling her and New York Democratic Representative Kathleen Rice. She described how the two lawmakers hid themselves in an empty basement room of the Capitol a location they thought would be the most secure in an emergency. But she said that the two were just 40 paces from where Officer Hodges and others clashed with rioters attempting to breach the West Front entrance. You know, we had taken refuge in that office because we thought for sure being in the basement at the heart of the Capitol was the safest place we could be. And it turned out we ended up at the center of the storm. And Officer Fanon, you had said, you know, you were 250 feet off of that tunnel and you felt certain that they were going to kill you. Imagine if they had caught the two members of Congress that were just 40 feet from where you all were. Murphy told Hodges she could hear the screams of those being attacked just yards away. She said that without his bravery and that of others there that day, I shudder to think had you not held that line, what could have happened to her and others? Now, number three, McCarthy's move to boycott the panel leaves Trump naked. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Republican from California, made the call to pull all five members he named to the select committee after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Democrat from California, vetoed two of them, Representatives Jim Jordan of Ohio and Jim Banks of Indiana. Pelosi's move was unprecedented because no leader had blocked another party from installing their members for a select committee. But she argued that the statements and actions from Jordan and Banks made it untenable for her to accept them. The resolution creating the panel gave the speaker the power to block GOP picks. Instead, Pelosi tapped two Republicans, Wyoming's Liz Cheney and Illinois' Adam Kinzinger, who both voted to impeach Trump and have been strong critics of the former president. 
And they both used their platform during Tuesday's hearing to argue that defending the rule of law was more important than loyalty to a political leader. Officer Gunnell, when you um, think about that and and share with us the vivid memory of of the cruelty and the violence of the assault that day, um, and then you hear uh, former President Trump say, quote, it was a loving crowd. There was a lot of love in the crowd. How does that make you feel? It's upsetting. It's a pathetic excuse for his behavior for something that he himself helped to create. This monstrosity. I'm still recovering from those hugs and kisses that day that he claimed that so many rioters, terrorists, were assaulting us that day. If that was hugs and kisses, then we should all go to his house and do the same thing to him. McCarthy scheduled the press conference ahead of the hearing as a chance for GOP leaders and those he wanted on his committee to do a pre-buttle. He said the panel was a sham and that he and others at the event attempted to blame Pelosi for security failures at the Capitol on January 6th. None provided any evidence, and the speaker does not directly oversee the U.S. Capitol Police. But unfortunately, Speaker Pelosi will only pick on people onto the committee that will ask the questions she wants asked. That becomes a failed committee and a failed report, a sham that no one can believe. The GOP leader's decision not to participate in the select committee meant that the three-and-a-half-hour hearing that was carried live by many news outlets did not include any GOP lawmaker defending the former president or raising the security issues Republicans say should be central to its probe. I need you guys to address if anyone in power had a role in this. If anyone in power coordinated or aided or abetted or tried to downplay, tried to prevent the investigation of this uh, terrorist attack. No senior official from the Trump administration had testified in any of the hearings conducted by House or Senate panels to date. And without any allies on the select committee, the former president has no one defending him. The question remains, what will be more resonant to those still undecided on what happened on January 6th? Will this methodically plotted presentation of facts be enough to squelch the GOP created noise on Fox News? We need a broad scope commission that's focused on political violence. What the Pelosi sham commission is focused on is only January 6th and trying to shame over 70 million Americans who were standing up for constitutional and election integrity issues. We need to look at the political violence that occurred all this past year. We need to look at the targeting of Steve Scalise and Republicans on the baseball field. We need to look at the tragic loss of a U.S. Capitol Police officer on Good Friday. Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats do not want to investigate that. They want to make this political and partisan. And number four, the committee could subpoena the former president and other Republicans. Chair Benny Thompson, Democrat Mississippi, didn't rule out subpoenas for Trump and other senior White House officials, telling reporters after the hearing, we will follow the facts. He indicated that the committee could schedule a hearing next month, even though the House is scheduled to take its regular August recess. Cheney made it clear that getting testimony from those around Trump that day is essential. 
We must know what happened every minute of that day in the White House, she said. She has stated recently that Jim Jordan is potentially a material witness. He's obviously going to go down a number of different roads uh, about who knew what when, who was talking to coordinators of the protest. Did you talk to the former president that day? I've talked to the former president umpteen times, thousands, I mean, I may not thousands, I mean, on times, January countless, 6th. countless times. I talked to the president. I never talk about what we talk about because I just don't think that's appropriate. Just like I don't talk about what happens in Republican conferences. So sure. I've talked to the president numerous times. Uh, I continue to talk to the president no, no, since no, I mean left on office. January 6th, Congressman. And McCarthy's telephone conversation with the president that day, a topic that came up during the impeachment trial, could be something the committee wants to hear more about directly from the California Republican. This land is your land, and this land is my land, and the California. The New York Island and the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters. This land was made for you and me. And now for the main event. My next guest on Maya Culpa is House Representative Raja Krishmanuthi from Illinois, 8th District. The congressman, who now chairs the House Oversight Subcommittee on Economic and Consumer Affairs, started his political career working on Barack Obama's 2000 congressional race and later served as the issues director for his 2004 Senate run. He's also the first Indian-born member of the House of Representatives. Krishnamurthy successfully won the seat vacated by Tammy Duckworth and has quickly established himself as a leading progressive voice in the House as well as a bulwark against MAGA encroachment. As a member of both the House Oversight Committee and the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, Krishnamurthy was closely involved in both of Trump's impeachments. His grilling of acting defense director Christopher Miller last spring saw Krishnamurthy demanding answers about January 6th from the Pentagon's highest ranking official in a tense exchange with Raja, accusing Miller of being AWOL in his leadership and partially responsible for the attack that day. He joins me on Maya Culpa today in the midst of heartbreaking January 6th commission testimony from members of law enforcement. And let's listen now to that conversation. So, Congressman, after hearing the testimony today of these officers and the new attack footage, it feels even more ridiculous that people like Jim Jordan and Jim Banks would serve on the committee. Offensive even to me as a, as a citizen. Now, finally, the country was hearing of these officers' trauma, how they were beaten and some called the N-word in moments of terrible ugliness, how some were nearly killed, eyes gouged out and injured. The idea that these guys would then dismiss what happened as a fiction is absolutely absurd. Or say the FBI or Antifa was the culprit. When you hear all of this testimony as a congressman, how can they continue to be so shameless? Um, I think it was disgraceful. It's revolting. Um, you know, this was a personal issue, Michael. Uh, I remember uh, that day uh, like it was yesterday. It's, not, it's, a, it's a day that's uh, personally very disturbing for a lot of us, including myself. I later found out, Michael, that there was a bomb placed 200 feet from my office window. That's why I was evacuated twice. Um, we all know how that night went. And then now today, uh, for the first time in my life, 
you know, we have a cop that trails me from a car to a plane and a plane to a car and a cop that shows up to my house a couple times a day. And I've got three kids at home. And uh, so to hear people like Jim Jordan or others deny what happened on January 6th or to say that uh, Antifa was behind it and not Donald Trump inspiring it is deeply, deeply distressing and personally revolting. Yeah, I mean, to, to anybody or everybody, no one's asking for anybody to believe you, to believe me, to believe anything other than what you're seeing and hearing for yourself. And yet so many members of Congress are coming out and saying it wasn't an insurrection. It was actually peaceful. The fact that Trump, and I, I hate to do it, but... You know, I, I'm going to really try to control myself because, you know, the, my language is uh, I had to control myself for nine and a half hours when you <laughs> were there uh, as well during my House um, Oversight Committee hearing. When Trump himself turns around and says, I saw police officers hugging and they were kissing these people. They weren't rioters. They were, they were peaceful people. It was a love fest. How does that, how does that not burn your ass? Because I sit there and I wonder, the American people are not stupid. We're, we're not stupid people. We know what we see and we hear what we hear. And for all of these individuals, it's not just Donald who's sick. Right. I mean, he's just mentally, mentally just sick. You're sitting there and you're listening and you're watching for yourself. And yet there are still members of Congress that are coming out and calling this a peaceful, a, a peaceful protest. It was like any other day. How does that make you uh, feel? sick to my stomach? I, I saw the quote. Uh, Trump said there was, quote unquote, love in the air. Uh, no, there was bear spray in the air, Michael. There was uh, hate in the air. There was um, violence among us. And, and, and those Capitol Police officers, to hear them, and, you know, one of them said uh, he thought, you know, that was the day he was going to die, you know, makes you realize just how divorced from reality Donald Trump and his followers are. Um, you know, I saw polling recently that 60 to 70 percent of Republicans believe that A, the election was stolen, B, Antifa was behind January 6th, and C, Donald Trump had nothing to do with it. Then I saw other polling in the same poll that shows that 60 to 70 percent of all Americans believe just the opposite. And so now we have to hold those people accountable, meaning my colleagues, who would spread the lies about January 6th, uh, because there's a real um, gap between what they believe and what the American people believe. And, you know, we got to point that out. Yeah, we do. You know, Congressman Krishnamurthy, you were there, you were present for two of my many, many hearings that I attended. Um, the first, of course, being the one that was viewed by, like, 100 million people, the um, House Oversight Committee uh, that was led by the late and in my opinion, great, uh, Elijah Cummings, you know, God rest his soul. And um, as well as the House Permanent Select Committee uh, on Intelligence. I don't know if you remember this, but there were so many at the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. I'll never forget. There was a series of questions that was asked of me. And one of them, uh, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, by Devin Nunes, 
uh, at the time who thought that he had gotten me. That's it. We found out everything on you because there was some questions about hacking that was going on at the time. And he said to me, well, you're so bold and brazen. You actually have a company that you started called Michael Hacking. And Mr. Cohen, we have documentation showing on your credit report that it's there under Michael Hacking. And I started to laugh, to which it really upset a whole slew of the Republicans, to which I responded, um, you know that the term hacking does not just necessarily mean what you think it means. It also means to drive a taxi cab, right? It also has to do with, in New York City, they used to call um, taxi drivers, you know, hacks. And it was the name of the company that I had was called Sir Michael Hacking Corp. It was two yellow cab medallions that I owned uh, here in New York City. And the fact that that's the way that it showed up on my credit report had nothing to do with me, to which he looked like he wanted to jump over the table and strangle me that it wasn't what he thought it was, that I had illegally hacked into the DNC or the Hillary Clinton and had released some information or what have you. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. Was there any question that you wanted to ask me either? Because, you know, I took a real beating at that um at the oversight committee hearing by the Republicans who, as I stated, didn't ask me a single question about Donald Trump. It was basically five minutes of listening to them castigate me and try to denigrate me, which, of course, is all part of the Trump playbook. And I know that because I created the playbook. Is there any question that comes to mind today after all of this, after all of the accurate statements that I made, whether it was about the inflation and deflation of his assets, about the fact that there would never be a peaceful transfer of power under Trump if he lost to, you know, just a plethora of things that I had stated and responded. Is there any question that comes to mind that you would have liked to ask me today knowing what you know back then? That's a really great question, Michael. I actually went back and reread the transcript uh, of our question and answers um, because I was really um, interested in, in kind of understanding what we learned during that hearing and uh, the questions that we have after the fact. Um, one thing that I asked you that ended up making a lot of news was I asked you, was there any other criminality uh, or other behavior that we should know about that we haven't asked you about? And if you recall, what you said is, yes, there is, but I can't get into it because it's under investigation by other authorities. And uh, I said, OK. And I, I think I, I said, is it ongoing? And you said, yes, it's an ongoing matter. Uh, and um that was a big uh, suspenseful moment for all of us. Um, I would have liked to have asked, what's the other criminal activity that we should know about? Who's involved? The biggest questions that we have, Michael, for folks like you and others right now is, um, what are the entanglements that Donald Trump has gotten into that could endanger our national security? He lies about everything. And because he lies about everything, that also raises a counterintelligence problem because the adversaries know the truth. 
And when the adversaries know the truth, they can hold that as leverage over us and Donald Trump and others. And that's that's one of the things that keeps us uh, up at night, quite frankly, uh, from a national security standpoint. Um, so do you have any insights on that issue? Is there anything that you think that we should uh, know about or be concerned about that Donald Trump uh, even now uh, might get us into trouble on further? Well, I want you to refer back to that time. And I know you were actually very vocal about this as well um, and angry about it was Trump's um, conversation with Vladimir Putin in Helsinki, where it was just him, Putin, one of Putin's assistants in that room. The question then becomes, what did they talk about? I know that they didn't right. talk about. He got rid of the translator that day. If you if you remember, he said he asked the translator, or he asked our translator to leave the room, or he destroyed the notes. Um, but go ahead, sorry. Yeah. So that in and of itself has to be very wonder. You have to wonder what was going on. What was what was the conversations about? I know it wasn't about how beautiful the Hermitage Museum is, or you know, <laughs> or um, Vladimir Putin's horseback riding, or the fact that he's a black belt in samba and plays ice hockey. It wasn't related to sports, right? Donald Trump, remember. Never thought he was going to win the presidency. This was all supposed to be nothing more than the greatest political, you know, um, advertisement for the Trump organization in the history of U.S. politics. And so when he ultimately won, he now saw the United States as a piggy bank. And Vladimir Putin, in essence, sees Russia as his piggy bank. If anybody doesn't believe that Vladimir Putin owns 25% of every company in all of Russia, right, then you need to think again, because nothing happens in Russia without Vladimir Putin's consent. And that's what Trump wanted. So the, so the notion that he would ever ask a third party, something that I don't think has ever been done in the United, by any other president before, the fact that he would ask them to leave so he could have a one-on-one private conversation, he doesn't understand, or maybe he does, that he's the president of the United States, not the Trump organization, which is his company. He's representing the United States. And unfortunately, what we're seeing now, especially with the indictment of Tom Barrack, and it, by the way, his real pronunciation of his last name is Barack. You know, uh, you know, he's of Lebanese descent, but he likes to anglicize it. This is, in my estimation, this is the the linchpin that's going to hold Trump, Ivanka, Jared, Don Jr., and so many others. It's really going to hold them to task because the amount of grifting that took place between all of these parties is enormous. And because Donald Trump intelligently, believe it or not, I'm going to use that word, intelligently never had an email address, it's mm. very difficult to pin it, you know, to pin things on him. Um, it's going to be required that other people provide the information, the documentation, such as like what I have done and what Alan Weisselberg, his CFO, is going to do. Because what Donald is going to do is he's going to say, it wasn't me. Quite frankly, I paid the guy a lot of money, right? And it was, it was Alan. 
It was Alan Weisselberg. He's my CFO. And it was Donald Bender. He's the accountant for Mazers. Why you, you're asking me to understand a million page tax return a year? That's his game plan. And that's what you're going to see. So you will see as a result of all of these indictments. And I don't think that there's nearly enough of them yet. But you're going to see from these indictments, like this kid Grimes, 27 years old. He has everything to lose. He has, he has his whole life ahead of him. Is he going to go to prison for Tom Barrick, for Donald Trump, for all of their illegal grifting? I don't think so. I, I agree with you uh, regarding that. And I, that was pretty striking, the 27-year-old kid um, you know, getting indicted. And I think that uh, that's got to uh, gotta be... Uh, something that gives them a little bit of heart heartburn, uh, thinking that uh, he and others have so much knowledge about the inner workings of the Trump organization. You know, one thing that I, I, I'm also concerned about, Michael, is, um, you know, Donald Trump is in a lot of financial hurt. You know that. He's not the billionaire that he projects himself to be. Um, his liabilities are huge and growing and He's going to want to figure out a way to monetize his former role as president in paying off those debts. And so what is he going to do to do that? That's kind of a, an ongoing concern. Um, he has a lot of knowledge uh, from his time as president of the inner workings of our country and our national security. And what is he willing to do um, you know, in a bid to get money? You know, our adversaries, the Chinese Communist Party, the Russians, uh, any number of people are willing to pay for stuff. What is the stuff that they would want from him and what would he be willing to sell? They, That's always an ongoing problem. Yeah, they would, and so what do you think? I'm, I'm curious. They would want every bit of information that they can get from anyone, yourself included as an elected official. They would like to know what's in your mind. They certainly yeah. want to know what's in the president's mind. And is that information for sale? In my opinion, Donald Trump will do anything for a buck. And that's the saddest thing. And it's been demonstrated in terms of how he ran the presidency. He ran the presidency the same way he was running the Trump organization, as a dictator, as an autocrat. This is my country. I'm going to do what I want, whether it was by executive order or it was going to be by by bullying. That's what he did, including yes. the way he tried to bully um, the Georgia um, uh, uh, Roethlisberger. Right. That's what you right. find me. Seventeen thousand eight hundred and one votes. I mean, that's the way that he would run the Trump organization, not asking you what you think. It's telling you what he wanted you to accomplish. And foolishly, people like myself went ahead and we followed through with his, you know, crazy antics and his results. The world is racing to get back to normal and start meeting up in person again. But after the year we've all had, getting back to feeling normal takes time. My journey back to the world started with being released from prison into home confinement. The only way I got through it was to prioritize my mental health and realize that it was going to take some time. If you're feeling overwhelmed by it all, you're not alone. It's important to find the support you need to face those feelings and move forward. We all talk to our friends when we're experiencing issues, but they don't always give the advice that we need. In my case, nothing they said related to what I was going through. 
Getting unbiased feedback and advice from a licensed professional can be refreshing and actually rewarding. When you're in a low point, you might feel alone. But over 50% of Americans struggle with their mental health. We all need help sometimes, and asking for support when you need it is actually a sign of strength. Talkspace makes it easy to match with a licensed therapist and schedule live video sessions, all from the comfort of your device. You can start messaging your therapist the same day that you sign up. Whether you're a parent, student, millennial, or just someone having a hard day, Talkspace can provide the support to help you feel better with a single message. Talkspace offers individual and couples therapy, in addition to medication prescription services. Set goals with your therapist, and they can help make sure that you're really progressing. Talkspace works around your schedule, at your convenience. Send and receive unlimited messages with your dedicated therapist in the app. Schedule live video sessions with your licensed therapists from anywhere. Whether you're experiencing depression, anxiety, or other problems, Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform to help you sort through any issue. Thousands of licensed therapists are available for you to match with. Talkspace therapists are experts in dozens of specialties, including anxiety, depression, relationships, and more, to help you start feeling better today. So start feeling better with a single message. Match with a licensed therapist when you go to Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month with the promo code COWEN. That's $100 off when you use promo code COWEN at Talkspace.com. But I do want to ask you, Congressman, on February 5th of this year, you introduced a resolution to establish January 6th as a national day of remembrance in honor of those who died at the insurrection at the United States Capitol building um, on January 6th of 2021. What was the GOP's resistance like to your measure? And did it ever pass? No, uh, the GOP... Uh absolutely doesn't want to remember January 6th. Uh, that is a, uh, a horrible, terrible, dismal day for our democracy. And I think we have to remember the sacrifice of all those on that day that lost their lives and got, in, in some cases, very seriously injured. But the GOP doesn't want anything to do with it. You know, can I just tell you a little bit about my personal story and why I feel so passionate of course. about Six. I, you know, I, I, I was actually born in India and I came to this country when I was three months old and, um, you know, things were going really well until suddenly they didn't. And my, my parents and family hit the economic skids, but thanks to the generosity of the American people, uh, we were allowed to move into public housing and food stamps. And, um, you know, basically this com- this country came to my rescue and my family's rescue. Uh, we were allowed to stay until my parents Um, finished their education. And my father got a great job in Peoria, Illinois, of all places. And that's where we enter the middle class. And pretty much every night at the dinner table, my father would say, think of the greatness of this country. And think of um, how you, meaning my brother and me, should do everything we can to make sure this country is there for the next families who need it. And um, fortunately, you know, we were able to live the American dream, Michael, because of this country, because of its uh, welcoming attitude, because of um, all the things that make this country exceptional. And I think 
on January 6th, I saw a, a violent attack on those very ideals that make this country exceptional and that allowed, you know, for my family and me to realize the American dream. And that was an attack on our constitution, an attack on our uh, country as a tolerant, diverse uh, mosaic. Um, it's, a, it's an attack on, um, you know, are we going to have, uh, you know, a, civil, a civilized, majoritarian republic? And um, those are the things that I was fighting for that day and today. Well, your, your story is so similar to so many Americans, myself included. You know, my father, I'm first-generation American. My father is a Holocaust survivor. You know, um, unfortunately, he was not, he didn't come to the United States right after the war. Uh, they ended up uh, coming through the United States, but they ended up in Toronto, Canada, where he grew up, and then always wanting to be an American, always wanting to come to the United States. And he studied, he didn't know the language when he got to Canada. He only spoke Yiddish, Polish, uh, and, and so on. He had to, you know, learn the language, and he ended up, you know, doing five-year medical school there at University of Toronto, coming to the States to teach head and neck reconstructive surgery at Downstate Medical. That's, that's his, that's his story. He only wanted his children to be born here. And he loves this country and what he sees right now. We talk, every, obviously, every single day. You know, we, we talk about how this country has given so much to so many, including my family, where, you know, the, I have three siblings, all lawyers. You know, now I'm the only disbarred, disgraced lawyer. My uncle's a lawyer. My other uncle's a doctor. My cousins are all lawyers. I mean, you know, I'm the, I'm the first felon in the family. So congratulations to me. And my father looks at and says, this isn't, this isn't the America that I remember coming to. And it's saddening. It's really sad. And the worst part is that what Trump has done is he has really gotten into the heads of so many Americans, like all of these folks that were there, thinking that they were there on his behalf. Right? He tapped into that racist sort of um, feelings that they have suppressed, and he gave them an, an ability to bring that racist view out and to demonstrate it by coming after our our democracy by coming after our country in his name and in his honor and it's um it's terrible because what that action has done is it made it more and more difficult for Americans to trust what's going on in DC and most Americans don't have trust in their politicians anymore. It's almost like you know, I'm not voting for, you know, congressman so and so. I'm just voting cuz I don't like the other guy. Yes. I think I think you hit on a, a bunch of things. Um, there's this old uh, Native American saying, Michael, you probably know about it, but it's inside of each of us is a good wolf and a bad wolf. And the wolf we we are is the wolf that uh, we feed. And I think Donald Trump fed all the bad wolves and everybody, um, you know, basically uh, turning them uh, against each other, turning them against their neighbors and fellow citizens and people who are uh, maybe looking different than them. There's no doubt there's a lot of people that are in economic pain. There's a lot of people who are concerned about the future of our country. But when Donald Trump comes to them and says, the reason why you're in trouble is because of that person there. 
and that person there is a person of color. That person is an immigrant. That person is a foreigner. That person is a person like me with 29 letters in my name. Um, you know, that is fundamentally un-American. And so what I'm trying to do um, and others is what can we do to feed the good wills of people? What can we do to aspire to their their better angels and their better ideals? Because I think fundamentally Americans are a good people. And, you know, what can we do to kind of steer them in the right direction so that, you know, we can um, make people like your father, um, you know, sit up and take notice and say, yeah, that is the America that I came to. That's the one I recognize. That's our that's our task, Michael. Yeah. Well, I do have to say that while you do have many letters in your last name, a friend of mine actually has more of Indian descent. His last name is Chandraratne, and he has, I think, twice as many as you do, which is always funny because I used to say to him, when you take the exams, because in the olden days, not like today, you used to have to write, you know, fill your name in by using the number two pencil, right, in the blocks, there weren't enough letters um, available. You know, well, he had too many letters uh, available for the number of blocks. I, I suspect you were probably close as well. I was very close. I, I, um, I got to tell you one little uh, uh, joke. Uh, it's, it's not a joke. It's actually reality. Uh, when I introduced myself in, in uh, Illinois, the first time I ran for our office, I said, hi, my name is Raja Krishnamurthy. The person looking right back at me in Chicago said, Roger Christian Murphy. Very nice to meet you. <laughs> I didn't know the Irish made it to India. And so... Uh, Anyway, I, I like to say my last name gets me on a first name basis with everyone. So everyone should just call me Raja. Oh, that's yeah, that's true. And unfortunately, you don't have a very uh, common name like Michael Cohen. But yeah, from that, that's that is <laughs> that's a smart move. Raja's definitely. Um, Congressman, I do want to say recently on MSNBC's AM Joy um, with Joy Reid, you said of the insurrection, and I quote, that 60 to 70 percent of Republicans believe that the election was stolen, that Antifa was behind January 6th, and that Donald Trump had nothing to do with it. This is something you talked about before. Now, of course, 60 to 70 percent of Americans as a whole believe just the opposite. Um, and so we need people who can kind of start with these foundational facts and build from there and try to work to prevent another January 6th occurrence from happening. What do you think today achieved in terms of building the foundation of facts has occurred? You can say whatever you want about Democrats, but those officers spoke for themselves. And I thought that they spoke in such a passionate, eloquent way. Um, it's clear they're not politicians. They're just human beings relating what happened to them. And if you are a, a person who uh, views that objectively, I think you had to be moved, Michael. You just had to be moved. I think what they said was from the heart. Um, and you could tell that uh, it, it, it's something that's authentic and sincere and when, when that type of a voice is heard, I think people are moved. Congressman Jamie Raskin had a argument with another member of Congress over exactly this, where this guy, no matter how hard Congressman Raskin, who I've met and I hold in tremendous esteem, he's 
one incredibly bright, bright guy. This other congressman, and it's, I'm blanking on his name, refused to acknowledge that not only that he voted not, he's one of the members of the GOP that voted not to give gold medals to these um, Capitol Police officers, but he actually was refuting the statements that this was an insurrection. Came, coming up with some other cock and bull story about how he tried to put forth a different bill that he introduced um, with Louis Gohmert that just made no sense at all. And yet, I sit there and I watch as, again, a citizen on home confinement and doesn't have much to do, so I watch a lot of the news, and I'm sitting there and I'm saying to myself, if he goes back and he watches his appearance, what's he supposed to say to himself legitimately looking at himself in the mirror? How does he ever look at his children or his grandchildren in the face after you had individuals like Officer Fanon, right? Um, officers Hodges, Dunn, and Sergeant Gunnell, who, to me, and I know this feeling because I go through this as well, we're broken. We have PTSD from the whole experience. And yet you have people like this congressman, people like Laura Ingram, who I think is the most disgusting of all of the Fox, and that's hard to imagine because Tucker Carlson is another disgusting human being, as is my former friend over there, Sean Hannity. The whole group of Fox from Rupert Murdoch down, they're just disgusting where they will allow people to make jokes about somebody else's emotional and mental strife, including trying to say, and the Oscar goes to or the best you know, performance goes to, there's no performance. They're guys who were getting their eyes gouged out. They all believed that they were going to die. And to make fun of that, I don't understand it. It's, um, it, it's, it's deeply cynical, Michael. I, I think you know that. Uh, I think that they, they do that uh, for ratings. They do that to please their viewers, but they don't really do it in the service of the truth. And, and that's what we really need now more than ever. And I think that the vast majority of the American people want the truth about January 6th. You see that over and over again in the polling and what people's sentiments are and what people tell me. Um, they just want to know why this happened. Why was the response so slow that day? Uh, and, and also, how do we prevent this from happening again? Um, and so many other questions as well. Well, I also saw something on television about Kevin McCarthy um, engaging with a reporter uh, about the January 6th Insurrection Committee and so on. And he made some incredibly stupid, but that's Jim Jordan, I mean, right? Uh, he made some incredibly stupid remarks. Do you hope that the committee calls um, Kevin McCarthy? I'm sorry, I was talking about Jim Jordan. Do you hope that the committee calls Jim Jordan uh, as a witness to this um, insurrection, um, and what would you want to know from him? Well, as Liz Cheney, uh, she's no liberal Democrat. As you know, she's a Republican from Wyoming, said, we need to know uh, uh, every minute of what happened in the White House. Who did the president talk to? One of the people that apparently he talked to was Jim Jordan. 
according to reports. Um, if I'm if we're incorrect about that, we're incorrect. No, wait, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry, that, Congressman. I don't mean to interrupt you, but you're not incorrect. The man said it himself. The man turned around and yeah. stated openly on a mic in front of the whole world to see that he spoke to the president so many times, including on January. He spoke to him virtually every day. Then we need to hear what he said uh, to the president, what the president said to him. I hope he would voluntarily cooperate. If he doesn't, then we have to go to uh, other means of um, getting him to testify. Um, For that matter, um, Kevin McCarthy had a very lengthy call with Trump on the day in question. Uh, Apparently, it was very heated. Um, Apparently, you know, McCarthy asked him to send uh, federal, basically the National Guard, right away to the Capitol. And Trump then, I think, questioned his loyalty to the big lie. He said something along the lines uh, that, uh, you know, the protesters, the rioters, the insurrectionists uh, seem to care more about, uh, you know, making sure uh, I'm in office than you do. And apparently uh, Kevin McCarthy said something like, who the F do you think you're talking to? And that's the most backbone I've ever heard reported about Kevin McCarthy. We need that Kevin McCarthy to show up today, Michael. We need that January 6th Kevin McCarthy to show up and be a freaking patriot and tell us what happened. And for that matter, he should support this committee and this select committee and figure out how we get to the bottom of all the questions that were asked and prevent this from happening again. Because he, he's got to remember what it felt like in that moment on January 6th where his safety and the safety of everyone else was in danger. Well, I totally agree. And actually, you stole my next question, which was about Kevin McCarthy uh, being called as a witness. Can I tell you, um, Congressman, what really bothers me the most? And I know that it yeah. bothers my listeners, and it bothers a lot of people who I speak to on a regular basis. There's no doubt in my mind that Kevin McCarthy should be called as a witness. There's no doubt in my mind that Jim Jordan needs to be called as a witness. So the question becomes, will they, as you stated, you know, will they come voluntarily as I did, or will they be required to be subpoenaed? My feeling is, who gives a shit? Just do it already. What is Merrick Garland doing? What are these committees doing? You know, it's one thing like when we were before both the Permanent Select Committee and the House Oversight Committee. Every single Democrat asked me a question about something dealing with Trump, the Trump Organization, the administration, whatever it was that I possibly knew. Okay, and I answer those questions. Now, they should also. Why should I have to do it? And we know that so many people that were called to testify decided not to, that they avoided the subpoenas. They just ignored them because that's what happened under Trump. Why are these people already not subpoenaed? They should already be ready to go. One, two, three. That's the subpoena power that you guys have. Why are they not taking advantage of it? Why is Merrick Garland just sitting and waiting for this? You know, the American people, as you stated, We want to know what really happened, because the one thing that we know about the Trump administration, nothing that we know is actually true and nothing that we heard is actually real. I think um, we absolutely. Well, let me let me talk about Merrick Garland for one second. You know, I'm I'm troubled 
at the pace at which uh, the Justice Department is investigating January 6th, you know, 800 and 900 people breached the Capitol that day. Uh, five to 600 have been arrested, and there, there have only been one or two or three people who've actually been held accountable, who've been sentenced, who pled. And so uh, my biggest concern, Michael, is that uh, if the Justice Department doesn't hustle and if they need more resources, they should let us know. We will get those resources to them. But if they don't hustle, the people who breached the Capitol that day and others who, quote unquote, celebrate January 6th are going to think they got away with it. And that's going to invite more and more uh, insurrections. Um, With regard to the uh, other issue, yeah, we should – we should make it known very clearly right now. We expect you to co- co- cooperate and uh, come before the uh, committee and give them a deadline right now and um, and then go from there. But I think that uh, we should definitely hear from these anybody who had material information or knowledge about January 6th. They should be on notice right now that you are going to be expected to cooperate and you should be given a deadline to do so. And why are they not? Why is this not happening? That's my question really to you. What what are you, what are they waiting for? Well, I think technically this uh, committee just got stood up last month. Um, I'd like to, you know, give give it a little bit of time to get uh, get going. As you know, uh, this committee wasn't even supposed to exist. We really wanted to get a bipartisan commission, independent commission created uh, so that we could just take it out of Congress, Michael, just completely take it out of Congress and avoid kind of some of the situations that we have with Jim Jordan and others. But McConnell and McCarthy tanked it and eliminated the possibility of this independent commission. So that then Speaker Pelosi had no choice but to create this special select committee uh, just a couple weeks ago. And now it's getting underway finally. Right. And I want the tooth fairy to be real, right? Um, she knew from day number one that the Republicans were not going to participate willingly. And then the notion to put, you know, people like Jim Jordan, um, you know, onto the committee who would be nothing but an obstructionist is just contrary to what you guys are trying to do. So. I'm certain that there has to be a list of potential witnesses that you want. I would just send out the subpoenas right off the rip. There's no point in fooling around. Just put them on notice. It's not like you're taking their depositions and scheduling this thing tomorrow. But I put them on notice and see if they're willing to cooperate. And if they're not, again, the American people have a right to know. The American people have a right to know that Jim Jordan's not going to come in, that Kevin McCarthy has no intention of coming in. But let's say that this committee was really starting now to move with subpoena power. Do you think that the committee would ever subpoena Donald Trump himself? Right. Do you think that there would be any value in his testimony or would he do what we all know he simply does, which is just to lie? Now, on the flip side, what would you want to know from him about that day? Uh, there's so many questions, Michael. I think that uh, the first thing we would want to know is, um, you know, what were his communications with the organizers of this? They called it a rally. Uh, but what were his communications or his staff's communications with them beforehand? Um, why was it the case that we we basically dropped all preparations uh, for a a much more how do I say it potentially violent or problematic 
uh, protest. Um, and, and, and why was the National Guard so slow to respond? Um, you know, there were gaps in time when uh, the Secretary of the Defense uh, Department, the Acting Secretary of Defense Department, knew about what was happening, and yet for hours did nothing, Michael. What did he, why was that the case? Was he in touch with Donald Trump during that time? Did Donald Trump tell him to stand down? What, what was going on? Those are some of the burning questions that people like me and others have. You're not the only one. We would like to know it also. The American people would like to know what really happened. The thing that Americans don't fully understand is just how close we were to losing our democracy. I mean, in in all fairness, if you think about what Trump was actually doing when they first, say, for example, remanded me back to prison, violating my First Amendment right. You know, the two ways that you create an autocracy, the first thing you do is you just stifle people's free speech. And the second is you bring in you, you bring in the military. Right. Um, in, in order to enforce, you know, to enforce what you want. And in this case, he wasn't going to get the military. So he was happy to see this paramilitary group, these individuals in massive numbers, right, together, wearing body armor with bats and, and metal pipes and PVC pipes, according to Fanon, with bear spray and guns and bombs. Right. That's how that's how you do it. So the American people really do want to know. And I think it's important, not just in order to hold those people accountable, to prevent others who want to become copycats, but I think it's important for the 2022 election in order to change the minds of so many people that are either misinformed or disinformed. I agree with you. I think that there is a group of people who let's just call them Republicans, because I bet they are Republicans, who are uh, unfortunately a small minority of their party right now, about 10 percent, maybe, maybe 10, 15 percent, who are deeply disturbed by what's going on. But I would challenge them to act upon their beliefs in America. And, um, you know, we have to basically hold the people accountable at the polls and basically Try to get these folks who are, um, I don't know, some of them might be Biden Republicans. I'm not sure. But get all of these people to basically say, look, do you want your party back? Do you want your, um, you know, your principles respected? If so, then vote for us. Uh, And, you know, it might be tough, but that's the group of people in part that I think we should be aiming uh, our messaging at, in addition to independents and others who you know, view this whole episode with the, you know, the deep distress and dismay that people like you and I do. Well, Congressman, let me ask you this then. How much do you feel that January 6th will play in 2022? I mean, I know that we just saw uh, this um, Donald Trump-backed candidate lose, right, which I think is a good indication that his power or his reign over the GOP is dwindling. But do you think that the GOP's decision to make January 6th the litmus test on Trump, do you think that that will prove to be a disaster? Or do you think it will ultimately rally the base and actually be more successful than this individual that lost the um, 
the uh, the nomination. Well, that's a really interesting point. I I I, I think that nobody saw uh, Miss Wright, the person that was uh, uh, endorsed by Donald Trump, uh, you know, pronounced Miss Wrong <laughs> by the voters. And they uh, voted for the guy Elsie, I think, uh, Mr. Elsie, who was not the Donald Trump candidate. Um, and, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens in other places. I'll be looking at uh, uh, primaries like Liz Cheney's, for instance. She's going to have a ton of opposition, as you know, uh, from not only Trump, but all of his acolytes. And so for her to prevail in that primary will be a big victory um, in our cause for democracy and fighting Trump. Um, I think that, uh, honestly, I think it will backfire. In answer to your question, it will backfire to make uh, the midterm somehow a referendum on January 6th or even the big lie or what happened in the last election. I think uh, because what it will remind people is this, Michael. um, Look, you may not agree with Democrats on everything, but you've got to agree that you don't want people in power who uh, either try to support or overthrow our democracy or who believe, believe in QAnon conspiracy movements and Jewish space lasers uh, setting uh, wildfires in the West and setting us against each other the way that um, uh, Donald Trump did during his presidency. Do we want to go back to that time or do we want to move forward? I think that Democrats have the better end of that argument. Well, they sure do. And I think that the GOP right now as a whole is in a real, real bad place. I saw a poll the other day, yesterday, actually, that showed that if there was going to be a nomination for 2024, that the person leading the Republican nomination, get a load of this crap. This You can't make this stuff up. Donald, John, Trump, Junior, right? Now, I know Junior for a long time, and I've gotten him out of a lot of trouble over the course of, you know, my 15 years of being affiliated to them. I can tell you he's one of the dumbest human beings. The fact that he could actually lead the GOP as, you know, the front runner for the nomination is staggering. And I want to make you a promise. If, in fact, that he somehow manages to run, I'm declaring my presidency that same day because there's nobody that could flatten his sorry ass like I can in a debate or so because I know all of his I know all of his skeletons. Right. He is as flawed fundamentally as his father. So the notion that people would want and I'm referring now to the GOP that they would want Donald Trump 2.0 and in this specific case, a much weaker Donald Trump, right, as their nominee, to me is just, it's mind-blowing and it's confusing. I agree with you. Uh, You know, we we go on and on uh, all day about uh, kind of the uh, uh, afflictions of the GOP. Um, It's up to us as Democrats to make sure that we uh, point out everything that you talked about with regard to um, the, the cronyism, the incompetence, the corruption, the, um, the nepotism of the Trump years. Uh, and if you, do, if we don't, it's shame on us. 
Um, and so we've got to get our game on. We got to be ready, and we we cannot uh, fail to remember that the stakes are just too darn high in 2022 uh, for us to bring anything other than our A game. So talk about nepotism for a split second, because that's always on my mind, right? We knew from day number one when nepotism Barbie and nepotism Ken came and they joined the White House. And I'm referring to Jail Vanka, right? Which is my, you know, my connecting the two names, Jared and Ivanka together, right? We knew that something was inappropriate here. And yet government just allowed it to continue and to go on. We also know that right after the death, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, we know that Mohammed bin Salman's first and only call regarding that was to Jared Kushner. We also know that somehow, mysteriously, 666 Fifth Avenue got bailed out by, I believe it was the Qataris, through an investment firm here in the States. If this isn't raising questions for Merrick Garland, who I have a lot of respect for, and I was really excited when I heard he was going to be the new AG, Dude, get off your ass and start looking into this. And if that means you have to establish 20 different special counsels in order to look at these various different actions that end up potentially destroying our country, what, what, what's, what's going on here? I, uh, I agree with you um, that the Justice Department really does need to, to get going here. I, I think there is a number of investigations that uh, we need to press on. Um, I have I hold Merrick Garland in very high esteem. Me too. But I am I am concerned about just I'll give you one example. You didn't ask about it, but it's on my mind still a lot. Which is um, you must have heard about the subpoenas uh, that were uh, initiated during the Trump administration uh, for the records of members of the Intelligence Committee um, and um, and their staffs and personal family members. And uh, what really bothered me was that uh, Merrick Garland did not come to us in the first months of his uh, taking over the Justice Department and tell us, this is what happened. This is what we're doing to clean it up. This is what uh, we're going to do to make it right and prevent it from happening again. Instead, we learned about this from Apple. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 you know, the same thing happened with reporters, by the way. And I just feel that the Justice Department right now needs to uh, uh, make sure that it instills confidence in the American people that there is a new sheriff in town and that we are going a different direction away from the Trump years. Uh, That could be said on so many different uh, directions and and levels, but I think it it needs to be uh, pursued right now. So let me ask you this, Congressman. Because this question might be difficult for you to answer, but I do really have to know. How do you work with some of these folks across the aisle on the GOP side who absolutely refuse to acknowledge reality and that Trump lost the election and that January 6th was an insurrection? Uh, In some cases, you just can't, Michael. You just can't. And I'm sorry to say that. Uh, You know, I told you a personal story and how... I have this rock solid belief that there are certain principles you just can't compromise an inch on, whether it's um, believing in a tolerant, diverse uh, America or believing in the rule of law or believing in 
safeguarding all of our public safety. And January 6th was a public, it was, it was a, it was a trifecta. It was an attack on our democracy and the rule of law. It was an attack on our country as a multicultural, diverse democracy. It was an attack on our constitution. It was an, it was an attack on the American dream, everything that my parents brought us here for. And so uh, am I going to go and, and do big legislation with Marjorie Taylor Greene? I don't think so. I don't think so. And I don't think I'm going to be working with her on January 6th. But um, are there others that uh, I can do business with? And do my constituents demand bipartisanship in working with them on other issues? Yes. And I will continue to try my level best. But um, there are certain principles I'm, you know, I'm just not going to compromise on. I don't, think, I don't think any of us should. Well, there should be bipartisanship. That's the way things are supposed to be done. That's the way our system works. But you can't have bipartisanship when you have individuals that refuse to live in reality. You know, you live in reality. They live in fucking Disneyland. I mean, they're, they're in a whole nother, they're in a whole nother world of crazy. And my, like, you know, my mom um, used to always say to me, you can't argue with stupid. And that's the problem. When you deal with guys like Matt Gates, who's stupid, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Kevin McCarthy, right, Ron Johnson, the whole group of them, they're just plain stupid and just sitting there trying to work with them. Me personally, I would not be able to, so I give you a lot of credit. But I do want to ask you this. One of the counter-narratives that's being pushed right now about January 6th, and you got to really love this one, was that Nancy Pelosi... Right now, all of a sudden, it's Nancy Pelosi. She failed to protect the Capitol as if it was her responsibility, which, again, is just a desperate Hail Mary to change the narrative. But in May, you, you know, took former acting defense secretary Christopher Miller for being AWOL that day. And in a pretty tense exchange, you said the following. You were AWOL, Mr. Secretary. You were AWOL. Remember, as you said before, you have responsibility for everything. Something goes wrong, right? Quote, unquote, I own it completely. 110%, sir. You partially own this mayhem. Now, what happened at this level of the chain of command where you felt that Miller was partially responsible for the mayhem? Well, remember, um, I, I during that particular tense questioning, I pointed out the very specific timeline leading up to uh, the National Guard arriving. And I believe it around 1.30 p.m. that afternoon on January 6th, uh, the Metropolitan Police, as well as the Capitol Police, put out a dire, dire call for help, Michael, uh, basically saying, we need everything you got to come and help us against these insurrectionists. And for like an hour and a half, they didn't hear back. Only after that, they heard back from uh, uh, Secretary Miller that, um, yes, I'm going to send help. And then it took another two hours for that help to arrive. And so in the, in the meantime, in those four hours, there was mayhem. There was absolute mayhem. You saw it. We saw it. The world saw it. And that's why I said to Mr. Miller, you own this. You own this mayhem. You own the consequences of it. And you were justified to do that. You know, Congressman, as we're winding down the hour, I have two uh, just quick questions that I want to ask you. Who else do you want to see face accountability on this in terms of bad actors in the administration or around the former president? With regard to January 6th? Yes, please. 
I'd like to know, uh, you know, who else uh, knew uh, intelligence with regard to uh, the developments around January 6th. It couldn't just be that we all of a sudden found out that day that this uh, group of people were arriving and that they were planning to go into the Capitol. They had maps. They knew where they were going. They had objectives. They had erected a gallows to capture uh, Vice President Pence. Um, who else knew in the Trump White House about this and to what level did they know the details? So that's one question. The second is, um, I'm still concerned about my colleagues in Congress, Michael. I don't know what they knew. I honestly don't know what they knew. Uh, there's still uh, allegations um, with some evidence that uh, some of my colleagues uh, uh, gave people tours the day before uh, of the Capitol, um, including some of these folks who participated in the, in the uh, Capitol riots. Um, why was that? I don't understand that. I don't get it. Um, we were also in a pandemic, by the way. We're, we're in pandemic lockdown at the Capitol, so I don't know how that could have occurred exactly. But the bottom line is lots of questions. We need to get to the truth ASAP. Yes. And just my last question to you, Congressman. Do you feel that President Biden could have done more to aggressively push back on the GOP's attempts to whitewash January 6th? as well as Trump's big lie, which has now just metastasized into legislation at the state level, rolling back voting rights and creating this new Jim Crow era. Honestly, I think that President Biden needs to uh, probably put its shoulder into something on the voting rights issue now. I think one thing that we learned from the GOP and Republicans, when Donald Trump was in power, they don't stop when they don't they stop at nothing to get their pure priorities through and it doesn't matter at what cost this is this issue of hr1 s1 voting rights the john lewis right uh, john lewis voting rights act this is about the fundamentals of democracy and so at this point i don't think we should stop at anything to get getting those through and i think um, i'd like to see joe biden uh, continue to do more. I think he's going to be speaking about it this week if he hasn't already. And now he has to take action as well because our democracy is at stake. I mean, what more uh, could we be concerned about than that? Well, you can't. And I remember at the very beginning, everybody's saying, oh, stop, stop. It's, he's only in 30 days, 40 days and so on. It's more than six months now. And, you know, I, while I'm all for this empathy and for trying to heal the country, you guys have a lot on your plate. Joe Biden's, the Joe Biden's actions, in my opinion, is what's going to determine the, the, the midterm elections and ultimately what's going to happen, you know, during the general election. So I could only implore upon you since you probably see him on a regular basis or speak with him, hopefully on a regular basis. It's about time. You're right. He needs to drop his shoulder and he needs to run through this. I, I, I hope. You know, a lot is resting on Joe Biden's shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> he's uh, he's uh, God bless him. I think we should all uh, think about him uh, and, and, and support him. But this is one of those issues where um, the stakes could not be higher. So I'm I'm uh, I'm going to be pushing. Yeah. Thank you, Congressman. I want to thank you for your time today. Uh, I wish you all the best. And um, I hope to speak to you soon. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you, Congressman. 
And now for today's mea culpa. Part of my anger around the January 6th commission is the way the press has contorted itself to appear balanced in their coverage. In nearly every piece from CNN to Politico, the tone was identical in that they covered the moment as a base political drama, which in turn casts validity on the movements of McCarthy and his extremist shitheels that what they've done is a legitimate parry to a democratic maneuver. Is it really a feud when Republican Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy performatively blames Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi for refusing to seat Republicans Jim Jordan and Jim Banks, two sycophantic fucking allies of Trump who called the January 6th mob to gather? There are not two sides to the story, and the testimony yesterday from those police officers smashed any fucking GOP attempt to reframe the commission as an exercise in MAGA shaming. Quite simply, there is the truth and what actually happened, and there's the GOP sideshow that still seeks to undermine testimony at every turn. The press must resist in framing their behavior as somehow acceptable. Jim Jordan should be held up and shamed at every opportunity. His picture should be put on the front page of the New York Times with the word fucking traitor in bold type. Instead, we have to listen to this brain lunatic on Fox News as if what he has to say matters. The time has come to simply say no more. There is the skewed notion that bipartisanship is still somehow desired. Well, it's fucking not. Yet only the Democrats bear responsibility for upholding it. Even in the face of an obstructionist GOP, it has become our responsibility to make sure they feel somehow included. Well, no more, I say. No more. We should lock them out for good. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea Culpa. Nothing but the truth. Pluto TV is playing the biggest movies every night this summer for free. Watch hit movies like The Hunger Games, The Matrix, Pain and Gain, G.I. Joe, Retaliation, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Jennifer Lawrence, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more all for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. Pluto TV is playing the biggest movies every night this summer for free. Watch hit movies like The Hunger Games, The Matrix, Pain and Gain, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Jennifer Lawrence, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. 
Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more, all for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. (laughs) 